Grant us wisdom, grant us courage, lest we miss thy kingdom's goal. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Nice to see all of you here today. Uh, when I was young, probably uh, sixth grade, seventh grade, something like that, maybe fifth grade, I, I was in the Boy Scouts, and um, and I was new to the troop, and I wanted to kind of impress some of the older guys. And we were going on this camping trip, and we met at uh, our church, and right across the street from our church was this like sandwich shop. And so my mom uh, sent me over to get a sandwich before going on this camping trip. And I can remember we were driving along and this older scout was in the car with us and uh, you know I wanted to be cool and he said uh, he leaned over and said can I have a bite of your sandwich well yeah sure and with, with with a mouth full he said can I have another bite and I said you know just take all you want and he said really <laughs> that was the last I saw of that sandwich uh, I can tell you and maybe he's just hungry, but you know, it, I, it totally struck me as, as greedy. I'm, I'm over it now. I'm, uh, it's, um, <laughs> I've totally forgotten about it. But, uh, you know, gre- greed is one of those things we can spot in others, right? We see it from a mile away, uh, but we are often the last ones to see it about ourselves. Uh, we might think, you know, I'm not greedy, I'm just ambitious. Or I'm not greedy, I'm, uh, I just appreciate the finer things. I'm not greedy, I'm just better, you know, than you are. So, um, you know, you can prob- most of you could probably think of ten people in your life that need to hear a sermon about greed. You know, you're going to forward it to them from the website or the podcast and, you know, say, this, I think this, you'll really be blessed by this. What you mean is bless your heart, right? That's what, that's what you mean. But no one here this morning is thinking, oh, good, a sermon on greed. I really need to hear this. You know, nobody is, is thinking that. But greed is what Jesus has in his sights in our passage this morning. Uh, and so let's just set our hearts and minds all together and, and say that, that all of us on some level need to hear Jesus' words when he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And I want to say I'm at, I'm at the front of the line. I am. Jesus is teaching to an enormous crowd. If you were to go back a little earlier in Luke chapter 12, uh, you would see that uh, so many thousands of people were, tra- that they were trampling one another. I'd say, Jesus, it's time to go to two services. I, I don't know. But, um, but anyway, uh, Jesus is speaking to this big crowd, and and he's speaking very directly, very directly uh, to them about our relationship with God. He's saying things like, beware the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before the angels of God. Very, very uh, serious business. All about living a consistently conscious orientation towards God. In all aspects of our lives, a consistently conscious orientation to God. And right in the middle of his teaching, this man stands up and interrupts him. Now, he doesn't ask him, what, what do you mean about hypocrisy? He actually makes a demand of Jesus. Jesus, command my brother to divide the inheritance. I guess back in those days... Family money had a tendency to divide the fam, the you know the siblings. 
you know, I'm glad we're not in those days anymore, right? But um, who knew? Uh, Jesus, interestingly, doesn't tell him to sit down and be quiet. Nor does he comply with this demand to command the brother. But he actually uses the interruption as an opportunity for another direct, possibly uncomfortable teaching about how we can and should consciously and consistently orient ourselves towards God. And now he's meddling, right? Not just preaching, he's meddling because he's going after our money. Not after our money, but how we deal with money. So Jesus diagnoses this man's desperation, not as a matter of justice, which is what the man thought, right? My, my brother's being unjust. Help, tell him to divide the inheritance. But he, Jesus diagnoses his desperation as greed. So he tells this story about this rich farmer who didn't plan ahead, but he has this bumper crop and, and such, a, such a large crop that he can't store it all. He doesn't sell it. He doesn't give it away. He, uh, he doesn't even try to build an extra barn. He decides to tear down his barns and build bigger ones because his ship has come in, right? He's got his retirement nest egg, and here's his plan. He's going to uh, store all his grain and his goods, whatever those are, and say to his soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, so relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God speaks to the man and calls him what? A fool. You know, there's that old joke. You can't hitch your, a U-Haul trailer to the hearse, right? You can't take it with you. And, and Jesus says, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God. So I want to talk a little bit about what God might have meant when he called the man a fool. And then I want to speak briefly uh, and think with you about what it means to be rich towards God. So I wonder what image comes to mind when you think of a fool. I myself know nothing of being a rich fool because I've never been rich before. Um, that's a joke. See, I have been a fool. That's what I, that's what I meant. Most of us have done things that we uh, later, maybe in retrospect, thought were foolish. Uh, or at least what others thought uh, were foolish. We rushed to judgment, flew off the handle, uh, didn't have all the information. We loaned money to someone who seemed really sincere uh, in their email from Nigeria. Um, you know, we, we, um, we went to, I don't know, any party in college. Uh, but, I mean, you want to see foolish? Go to YouTube. They got foolish for days on YouTube. Uh, but here in this parable, the man is saving money for the future. That is not what we typically think of as foolish. In fact, we think of it as wise. It is wise. Jesus is not preaching against retirement savings. But so it is strange, though, that, man, that God would call this man a fool. So let's think about that a little bit more broadly. When, when the Bible speaks about a fool, uh, a fool is not someone who is unintelligent. He doesn't have a high IQ. A fool, rather, is the opposite of one who is wise. So let's think about wisdom a, a little bit. The Bible spends a lot of time talking about wisdom. And wisdom is not about the volume of knowledge, but rather it's the, about the right application of knowledge. Which is to say, wisdom doesn't necessarily mean you know a lot of things, 
but it means that you rightly apply the things that you know. And so the Bible also talks a lot about morals and right and wrong, but you know, there's just a lot of life that, that isn't covered by right and wrong. And so in those situations, you need wisdom. For instance, should I uh, follow this career track or that one? Well, that's not really a moral issue. It may be a moral element. But, but, but for the most part, it's a matter of wisdom, right? Should I marry this person or not? How should I handle the conflict in my home? How should I spend my money? Again, there may be moral elements, but for the most part, it's more about the choices you make with the information you have. It's wisdom. And biblically speaking, wisdom always involves orienting one's self to God's ways. Wisdom always involves orienting oneself to God's ways. Obedience, yes, but more than obedience. Wisdom specifically uh, is considering how to follow God and His ways given the unique and varied circumstances of your life. It takes practice, doesn't it? It takes uh, time. It takes life. You know, you can't buy wisdom, though wisdom is very costly, isn't it? Because life, wisdom is, is... gained through life experience. Uh, Wisdom involves reflection. Wisdom involves learning from from our mistakes. I mean, you can make mistakes and still be wise. You can even do things that end up being foolish, but the wise person learns their lesson and commits and recommits their ways to the Lord. The fool is the opposite. Psalm uh, 14 First verse of Psalm 14 says, and you may have heard this verse before, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, it doesn't mean the fool is an atheist necessarily. It's interesting. He doesn't say the fool says in his mind there is no God. It may be split in hairs, but, but I think he may know there's a God, but he's not orienting himself towards God and God's ways. He's not using his knowledge of God and God's ways as the filter for making decisions about what to do with all that God has given to him. So he's acting on a heart level as if there is no God. There's no God who loves him, who cares for him, who knows what's best for him, who has his best interests at heart. So for the man in the parable, what makes him a fool is not the fact that he's saving for his future. Of course, that's wise. What makes him a fool is he has not given one thought as to how God would have him use his wealth. And and that's not the end of it, actually. Because it seems that the man has not given one thought about, uh, about God in relation to the deepest satisfaction of his own soul. So he says, he says, I will say to my soul, you have... Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, so relax. He, he's a man of means. He's a, a man of talent. I mean, he must be a really good farmer, right? But in that culture, think of all the people he could feed, all the people he could employ, of the people who could benefit and be blessed by what God has given to this man. And I think of, he must have known God because he known all that he had was from God because God doesn't call him ignorant. He calls him a fool, and those are two different things. He did not account for how God wanted him to use his wealth for the glory of God and the good of his people, and he had to have his wealth in order to have peace in his soul, and God called him a fool. 
I mean, we got to ask the question, right? I mean, by this definition, how you doing? Where are you on the spectrum between wise and foolish? Are you considering wisely how God wants you to spend your wealth? Are you seeking to find your soul's deepest rest and satisfaction in God alone? You remember Gordon Gecko? That's Michael Douglas's character in Wall Street, 1987. Um, I wasn't allowed to watch it, uh, but the um, you know he famously said, "Greed is good," and he's got the you know the big cigar and the slick back hair and. And, and, you know, Gordon Gecko, probably no theologian, uh, pretty bad dude in the movie, but, but he actually almost got it right. Greed is not good. Greed is bent good. Greed is bent good. See, you were made to be satisfied on a soul level. You were made to have everything that you need because you were made to have a relationship with God. And greed is rooted in that God-given impulse to be completely satisfied in Him, but greed is disordered love. Greed is the desire for more and more of something, anything other than the God we are made for. And the underlying motivation is always the, this belief that this thing is going to fill that hole that God, only God was made for. But actually, greed by its very nature is an unquenchable thirst. And we can be greedy to be right. We can be greedy to be loved. We can be greedy for attention or wealth or status. Greedy for the latest technology. And we can go on and on. You know, but money has this particular way of getting a hold of it. And not just the, you know, the paper and the change, but the, 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 um, the status that comes with it the luxury that it affords us, the security, the envy of others that comes with it. And Jesus says, beware, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Because greed is the absence of a God orientation. And greed, therefore, is always foolish. Now, what do you expect me to say is the answer. Stop it, right? Cut it out. But that'd be like saying, don't pay attention to gravity. I mean, they, our hearts were made for it. The answer to greed is not to say stop it. The answer for greed is to be greedy for the right thing. The answer to greed is to bend that good into its right shape. The answer to greed is to be satisfied with God himself. And just in case you find it difficult to consciously and consistently orient yourself to God for wisdom and for the deepest satisfaction of your soul, you need to know that God has already oriented himself to you. In fact, you might even say that God was greedy for you. That God gave up everything for you. Right? God became a man, left his throne in heaven and became a man, lived the most beautiful and perfect God-oriented life, and then died this wretched, bloody, horrible death on a cross so that you and I could be reconciled with him. He gave up everything for you. He was greedy. 
to get you because he loves you. That's the gospel. We didn't deserve it. We just receive it. There is no love that is higher. There is no wealth that is richer. There is no thing or no one that is more beautiful. There is no philosophy that is more healing. There is no relationship more satisfying than the one who made us for himself to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And it is from that place, that place of being satisfied with God, for having all our needs met in him, for having received the riches of his grace, is from there that we are free to be rich towards God. What does that mean? I think it means that in, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with our time, talent, and our treasure, we are to love God and love our neighbor. We are orienting ourselves to God in every aspect of our life. And we are holding, because we have everything we need, we're not, it's not that we don't have stuff, but we're holding what we have lightly. Our stuff isn't our greatest treasure. Now, I've got to tell you, I, I struggle with this. Like, I worry about the future. I look at our bank account, and I just, I, I worry, you know. I mean, I, I, I'm right there. I'm preaching to myself. But, but what I think this is, being rich towards God, it isn't necessarily writing big checks if you don't have big checks to write, but it's, it's offering all you have to what is your greatest treasure, which is God and His purposes. And this takes a lot of trust in the person of God, doesn't it? So I actually want to read to you what comes after this in Luke chapter 12. Uh, for whatever reason, the lectionary sk- skips over it, so I'm not, not stepping on Trent's toes for next week when he preaches but this is, what, um, this is what it says. So following right up, you know, this is, uh, so it is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body and what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil or spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So let me ask you, are you a fool? Are you acting on a heart level, like there is no God, neglecting to consider God in his, and His ways for your time, your talent, and your treasure? 
Or are you seeking to drink from the fountain of all wisdom, to trust him, to enjoy him as your greatest treasure? Knowing that in fact already, he has treasured you. Amen.